It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme this evening, Fallon Moore from Blossner and the Irish Food Awards joins us by Zoom to tell us about this year's virtual awards. Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom shares details about a recent visit to Michael Finucan at his family pub in Ballylongford to find out about the village's annual oyster festival and I meet Vincent Hanley in the heart of New Castle West to hear one of my favourite poems by Michael Hartnett. But before we hear from tonight's guests, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. Now, at this time of year, I'm usually getting ready to pack my bags to spend the weekend in Ireland's first foodie town, Dingle, for the annual Blossnerin Irish Food Awards and Dingle Food Festival. However, changes have had to be made to the usual proceedings for obvious reasons, and earlier today, Fallon Moore spoke to me on Zoom to tell me more. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Fallon, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thanks so much for taking the call because I'm sure you're extremely busy this week because this weekend, this Saturday, you will be announcing the winners, the gold, silver and bronze winners and all the other major winners of this year's Blossnair and Irish Food Awards. And it's been a very different year for you as it has been for everybody and all businesses in Ireland. And we'll, we'll talk a bit in a minute about how you've changed the awards this year just to cope with the current challenges. But just tell us a bit about the history of Blossnerin and, and the Irish Food Awards. Sure, thank you. Well, Blossnerin was started, it was 13 years ago, and it was founded to be a support for producers to recognise those who were making fantastic food and drink here in Ireland. Artie Clifford founded the awards and year on year, working with UCC as our academic partners, that's what the awards have done. And so it's been fantastic to see how that's grown from the very first year when there was just a couple of hundred products entered through to the 13 years now where for the over two and a half thousand entries which we see come in most years to the producers who get to the finals where you would have over 300 producers the finalist stages now and for those producers to see the success that that accolade brings them so it's it's been lovely to see that growth over the 13 years they are major awards for the producers in terms of getting the word out there about the products that they produce and the quality of the products that they produce. But the, the awards were also a great network and opportunity because normally at this time of the year, everybody would be starting to pack up the bags and head down to Dingle because the program of events that you put on there for the producers, just to complement the, the actual awards were really useful to them from a business pers- perspective. So that's something that you've had to look at this year. And last week, you hosted a number of online sessions for the, the finalists this year. 
We did. So we had to weigh up all of the different opportunities that for producers when they come down to Dingle, the benefits that they get. And the backyard is one of the venues which we've created to be a space for learning and for networking for producers. And when we sat down and looked at the restrictions that were there this year, we realised with our partners with Bank of Ireland to support the venue, that actually we can do this online. And we recreated over the course of a week with the support of Taste for Success with online learning, 12 different workshops where producers could prepare for the success that being a finalist and a winner could bring them. So we covered topics such as negotiation skills, online sales, social media, communication skills, product development, and then lean management because we see producers have to scale up as well. And I suppose one of the silver linings that we've all had to look for this year in every situation is that in this case, we could do it a week and a half ahead of the awards. So producers could be really prepared for this weekend and the success that getting to this stage of recognition will hopefully bring them. Yeah, the networking side of things in Dingle was was always is always very important. And some producers might feel that they're really missing out on that this year. But the other option there for them is social media. Like there is a great opportunity to network online with social media and Blossnairn always announced the awards via social media as well as live in the cinema in Dingle and that's the way you'll be doing it this Saturday. Yeah, that's it. We Everything will be announced live online and yes, the producers will miss that and we'll miss seeing the producers this weekend. One of the things that we love to see is faces which are either coming back year after year or it's their first time and the camaraderie that's there between those producers but fortunately over the 13 years that's the sense of camaraderie has been built up so what we could see this year from when the finalists were announced was producers supporting each other online and through social media saying oh yeah that's great I got to the finals as well and best of luck and look we'll be online that day we'll you know, we'll, we'll have a toast over Zoom or however they're engaging with each other. But I think it's, it's an opportunity that they can still support each other. And we know that the network of, of producers that's there and the attitude that food producers have in Ireland is that they will be to support each other regardless of the situation that they're in. And tell us a bit about the the Limerick producers that are in the final this year, because there's seven companies there in Limerick that have reached the final. And we should say it is a huge achievement to reach the final. It is. To have gotten to this stage, it means that they're in the top five in their category. We bring the at the initial stage of judging, we bring that down to the top performing within their category. So to have reached this stage for the seven companies, it's a huge accolade. Um, those that we see there, there's Attie Flynn for their juices, the Buttermilk Bread Company, which is so delicious in Limerick City, Glen Onya, Glenstall Foods, who were a past Supreme Champion, Carney's Home Baking, Murphy's Home Bakery and the Old Irish Creamery. So a really good mix of actually what you will know now are such solid products and, you know, Irish food as we know it. There's juice, ham, butter, bread, cheese. It actually sounds like a lovely lunch if you put them all together. (laughs) Yeah, and I think 
It doesn't matter how well you know your locality and you know a number of the producers in your locality. There's always new producers coming on board there and it's no harm just to to take a look at the awards every year to see what new products have come on stream and what producers have been successful. But also there can sometimes be well-established producers there that have hidden their light under a bush for so long that people are not aware of and they haven't heard about like certainly of the the seven there that you've mentioned there there's at least one company there that I hadn't come across before but I'll certainly go out and I'll, I'll keep an eye now next Saturday and I'll keep an eye out for their product whenever I go out because you know it's great to shop local support local and obviously to to support Irish absolutely and I think what we see every year with the producers coming through for a lot of buyers and for a lot of press, this is where they look to see producers that they haven't seen before. And whether that's because it's a new startup or it's somebody new within their company that has kind of thought, oh, you know, we're not shouting about things enough and they've entered the awards this year, or perhaps it's that they've developed a new product range and that's where they want to get the recognition. So it really is, it's a good reference to see what's, happening within that county whether it's new producers or it's those who are consistently doing well every year and what we see as feedback from those who we know are watching the accounts and watching to see you know what winners are going to be announced on the weekend we know that that's where buyers are looking for something new for their listing or we know that that's where journalists who are looking for their content for the next couple of weeks or months are looking to see what are people talking about For consumers, Sam, whenever you're out doing your shopping, it's very easy to see which products have been successful because they should have the Bloss logo on their packaging. Whenever it comes to judging, though, they don't see any of the packaging because it is blind tasting. So it is all to do with flavour. It is. So when we are judging, everything is completely blind and it's presented to the judges very simply just on a white plate with the entry number of what they're tasting and all they are told is very little about the product. So for example, they may be told that it's a smoked ham because they should be getting the flavour of the smoke coming through it. But beyond that, they're not given any information and it makes it very, very fair whether a producer is a small startup producer who maybe hasn't you know, got a huge amount of work done on their packaging as yet or it's a very established producer where a brand is well known. It takes all of that bias out of it. So it is completely fair at the judging stage. And the judges come from all walks of life. So they're not just high-end chefs, although there are a number of them in there judging, but they're also like your normal home cook, um, educators, teachers. Like it's very diverse, the, the, the range and the profile of the judges that you have. Yeah, and it has to be because that's who's buying Irish food and putting it on the tables here in Ireland. So we have the academic judges that we always work with from UCC and across the country with different um, third level bodies as well. We would have independent buyers, never anyone from a retailer who could have a producer's product entered into the awards. We would also have chefs, as you mentioned, press, but home cooks are a huge and very important part 
of our judging panels because that is who's buying it to put it on the table for their family and their friends. And these awards are very much focused on the producer, not necessarily the supermarket that could be buying from the producer and it could be an own level. However, in saying that, they are they have been a great way for producers to break in to many of the, the major retailers. They have. We've seen producers, if that's where they want to go with their business, but we've seen the opportunities come up for them. And down through the years, we've seen a producer perhaps get in on a trial program with a retailer and now perhaps go on to be stocked nationwide. And that's actually where a lot of our educational loss has come because to work with the producers as the opportunities are being put in front of them to make sure that that is where they want to go with their business so whether it's that they want to go down the food service route and we would always have panels with chefs or panels with buyers where it will teach them a little bit about what would be expected from that process because we've seen the impact that it can have on a business. So we want to make sure that the producers are educated as best they can to be ready for that opportunity. And one of the great stories that I remember from last year was Mina's Nuga, who couldn't be in Dingle last year because she was actually in London in Harrods with her team to to meet with the Harrods people over there and look at her product on the shelves in in Harrods. And that had all happened because of Blossnair in the previous year. It had. So one of the, the buyers and done from Harrods had been and has been a judge down through the years for Blas and Heron and she had tasted the nougat at Blas and asked us for the contact details and Mina had been in the car on the drive home to Wicklow after a lovely weekend. She was bringing her glass home and on a Sunday her phone was ringing with an unknown number something we always say to people that weekend is answer the unknown numbers that weekend <laughs> and it was Anne. And they've since gone on, they've just launched this year in Harrods. And last year it was lovely for Mina to be able to say to us, I actually can't make it this year because I'm bringing the girls over to show them what we've been working so hard for. And for us in the office to hear that someone has had success out of it, if they, you know, if something gets picked up and it makes a difference to their business. It just means the world to us. Absolutely. Well, that's this Saturday. What time should we be tuning in from on Saturday to hear who the winners are? We will start announcing from 12 noon this Saturday, running right throughout throughout the afternoon. Um, Particularly if you're following us on Twitter, watch it under hashtag Blast2020. We'll also have a dedicated page on our website where the results will be posted throughout the day and up until about six o'clock when our Supreme Champion will be announced. There's a lot of awards to be announced and we we should say Limerick has had great success in the past with the Supreme Champion Glenstall Butter won it in 2017. So you never know, we might um, have a few major key awards this, this year as well, thanks to the seven producers that have made it to the finals. But as we did say, it is a huge achievement to make it to this stage so congratulations to all the the producers that are at that stage best of luck to them on Saturday and fair play to you Fallon and all the team in Blossnairn for making sure that the awards still went ahead this year in these challenging times and thanks so much for joining us this evening thanks a million Sharon thanks very much for having me (laughs) 
taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Fallon Moore explained how this year's Blossnaren Irish Food Awards will take place this Saturday, October the 3rd, as usual, albeit in a virtual format. And I'll certainly be keeping an eye on the Bloss social media platforms and website, irishfoodawards.com, to see how everyone gets on and best wishes to everyone in the finals this year. If you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come tonight, I visit the heart of Newcastle West to meet Vincent Hanley, who recites one of my favourite poems by Michael Hartnett in advance of Exia, which takes place this weekend in the town. Next, though, our roving reporter Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom raced off to the Wild Atlantic Way to the village of Ballylongford to visit Michael Finucan at his pub to talk oysters. And this afternoon, I zoomed Colette for a catch up. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Claire, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks for joining us. And you're after a very busy week there in Listowel last week with the races. What was time like for the businesses? So I suppose Listowel was very different last week. You know, um, normally you'd have huge excitement. You'd have the fun fair. There'd be crowds coming in from sort of Sunday, Monday onwards. So this year, it was notably, um, I I suppose, look, there was nothing at all happening really in the streets. I mean, there was a little bit of, of, um, I suppose, increased, because pubs are now open, you know, you don't, you no longer need to have a meal to have a drink. So there were, there was that buzz of the pubs reopening, because a lot of them were still closed up to last Monday. So they were open, and you had people coming in and out of there, but it all looked very, a lot quieter than normal, and you had a fairly a fairly good security presence at those pubs and he had a fairly good police presence around the town as well. I mean, everyone seemed to be abiding, so it looked, it looked quite well, really. And the bus- unfortunately, it wasn't the normal races, yeah. And the businesses made a huge effort with their windows and decorating them. There was a competition for the best-dressed window, I believe. That's right. The Stoll Business and Community Alliance ran a competition, um, I suppose, aimed at supporting businesses and as well creating that bit of atmosphere that was so kind of lacking. Um, so in the spirit of what the store races themselves did, which was an online best dressed lady uh, competition, which was for their ladies day, which of course is normally a huge, huge day altogether. So um, the businesses then sort of kind of rolled in and all decorated their windows. So we had some fantastic um, displays across the town, you know. Uh, first prize went to Broderick's Pharmacy there on Lower William Street. Second prize to John R.S. Food Hall, who we would have had last week on Best Possible Taste, Pierce Walsh. And uh, then third prize went to Harnett's Pharmacy in the square. Fantastic. Well, look, it's always good to have initiatives like that. It kind of makes the community spirit a bit more tangible and to get people to come together. And you yourself now, you weren't racing, but you were in Bally Longford. Were you doing some oyster tasting in Bally Longford? Because that's what the village is quite famous for. Yes, I was racing out to Bally Longford. Uh, yeah, so I went out to Bally Longford. Michael Finucane very kindly invited me out to his bar, which um, anybody in North Kerry will know Finucane's bar. It's a very special place, fantastic place altogether. 
the birthplace of the O'Reilly, which we won't go into, but hugely, hugely well known in, in the area. And I suppose the Oyster Festival started in 1993 and um, really it's a cornerstone of the, of the calendar here in North Kerry. That it was the Guinness rep who supplies the, you know, the bars obviously locally, but he was just saying, you know, all these oysters here, you should do a festival. And if you do, we'll come in behind it. So hence the partnership between Guinness and the oyster was created, you know. So it all started by Longford. Yeah, and great to have a good brand like Guinness behind Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because it's and I mean, anyway, I think I know myself from experience. Any of the food festivals in the UK, you'll always see the oyster with the Guinness. You know, if they're at the Irish stands or the Irish, you know, um, setups and stuff. So definitely, yeah. Yeah. And the oysters. I mean, at the, at the peak of the oyster production, you have thirty-five different producers over there. Um, in present day, it's just the one. And it's Michael Finucane himself that has the bar. He is the producer. No, Michael would have been one of the instigators of the whole thing. I suppose the festival, he would have started it all, but he would have been one of the original 35, yeah. So it's a local chef from Bailon called Peter Tai, who is the, the sole oyster farmer now. And uh, yeah, he, he sort of supplies all the oysters for the for the festival. And I suppose in terms of locally, um, they would be exporting mainly now, to be honest, out of the country, and that's where they're sold. Um, but you can you can still taste them in Bailon for it every year, obviously not this year, but from hopefully back next year again. Yeah, because whenever it comes to, to oysters from Ireland and, you know, we hear about the Hardy's oysters and the Kelly's oysters and the Flaggy Shore oysters and especially in some of the top end restaurants here in the country. But you never, I've never really come across the Bally Longford oysters whenever I've been out and about. No, well, you would, I suppose, in the snack of the country. I know that, um, that the local hotels would have supplied them on their summer menus over the years and restaurants. So they certainly would, would be able to experience them around here. I suppose it's changed over the years. And it's almost the festival, really. I mean, like, I think last year they had, they had, they, you know, they won these various competitions for it. So they, my for oyster is very well known outside of the country, which is a bit of a shame in some ways, but obviously fantastic in other ways. They had people who came specifically from New York from Europe who came to participate in these competitions of how many oysters can you eat in a minute, how many, um, I don't know, how many can you open in a minute? Like, you know, they get out, I think it's 17 is the record for opening and 39 is the how many you can swallow in a minute. So it's, it's, you know, and these people are from all over the world coming into North Kerry to sample the famous oysters. So it'll just tell you how far reaching these things can be. And Michael Finucane's bar then, they have opened it, have they, since the, the COVID yeah. restrictions lifted? They opened last Monday and actually Michael, he's, he's a fun, he's a very hospitable man and he is, you know, great to go in. And if you want to find out anything more, pop in and, and he'll tell you all about it. It's a wonderful old Irish bar with all the, the history around it and inside and it well worth visiting. And, you know, you, can, you might be able to get an oyster. He might have one floating around sometimes. And I believe he has um, a famous American actor is related to him, landed into the, the pub there in the past few years as part of Who Do You Think You Are? You know, that programme. And oh, it, yes, it's your yes, guy that, that plays Jack on Will and Grace. I think it's Sean Patrick Hayes, his name is. So he's a, few, him, yeah. a few famous connections there. So it sounds like you had a lovely afternoon with him, Claire. Oh, we did. We had a lovely time out there. And Bay Longford's a fantastic place to, to visit, I suppose. Very close to the store. It's only a 10-minute drive, so well worth the trip out. And you've got the lovely Cargofoil Castle out there as well. You can see the pier where the oysters come in on the boats out there, so it's well worth the trip out for any foodie.
Yeah, and very handy to West Limerick as well. So we might encourage some of the the listeners to take a spin out that direction one of these days and just check out the area whenever it's on our doorstep. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for telling us about it today. And uh, we'll keep in touch and no doubt we'll talk again next week, Colette. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Colette O'Connor told us about her recent visit to Michael Finucane's pub in Ballylongford. And earlier in the programme, Fallon Moore explained how this year's Blossnairn Irish Food Awards will take place this Saturday, October the 3rd in a virtual format. If you are just tuning in now, you might want to catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now every year my hometown of Newcastle West celebrates local poet Michael Hartnett with Exha Michael Hartnett Literary and Arts Festival. This year the festival has gone digital and there's a very interesting programme of free events that starts this Thursday October the 1st and it runs for three days. Whenever I host food tours, one of the stops is at the Michael Hartnett statue in the square in the town centre and I ask one of the guests to read The Ballad of Salad Sunday, which is one of my favourite Michael Hartnett poems. So last week, former Deputy Principal, now blogger, Vincent Hanley did the honours by reciting it for me and telling me more about this intriguing poet. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. <laughs> Ballad of Salad Sunday. This poem is dedicated to Sheila and Ned O'Dwyer. You've heard of Newcastle and its famous dog fair, and off Sandwich Sunday, no one was there. You'd not think we'd be cut out three times in a row, but once again, people, we are made a pure show. The 5th of June, 1983, they expected to profit by you and by me, yet in spite of their salads and watery tea, more went to watch donkeys in honest Athay. I heard that the shopkeepers up in the square were sending back bread and tearing their hair. They turned over so little it made their hearts scald. I will mention no names, but there's two of them bald. I heard of a publican who rented a space not far from his own house. John Burke's is the place. Put girls behind counters all dressed in white coats and had enough greens to feed 1,200 goats. One cleared the locals out of his place. No cards or no darts were allowed, just in case. But, but two pickaxe handles were ready to wave at the thousands expected who mightn't behave. Let no local farmers buy meal or buy hay, for there's free bales of lettuce to be had, I hear say. And regardless of breed or regardless of number, their cows can now feed on wines of cucumber. There's ducks in the river, now bigger than swans, and the water hens there wouldn't fit into ponds, and the rats eating salads mouths back to their ears, for the flutes of Newcastle, they send up three cheers. 
beautifully read, Vincent. Thank you so much. And no perfect place to read it than in the square here in Newcastle West at the statue of Michael Hartnett. Just tell us a bit about Michael and why he's so famous here in Newcastle West. Well, I suppose Michael Michael was born and, and lived and was he he was born and he, he re- lived and reared he was reared here in Newcastle West, you know, and he went to school in Newcastle West. And uh, he was—I uh, think he was—he ex- was an exceptional, you know, from from, from the very beginning. You know, he was—he was his own man, and he was very learned. And um, he left Newcastle West then, maybe after his leaving cert. You know, uh, he did his leaving cert, and uh, he went to. He went to UCD for a year. I don't think he ever attended a lecture, but uh, he he went there with his good friend, actually, Des Healy, who was uh, with him as well. Des went on uh, to later become uh, principal here in St. Edward's Secondary School. But um, Michael um, was exceptional, as I say, and I think the thing I like about Michael is that he wrote for the locals, he he wrote for his own people here in Newcastle West. Funny stuff, like the Ballad of Salad Sunday now, for example. He poked fun at, at uh, you know, the publicans and the shopkeepers in town who were cut out, really. Um, and he he wrote. I mean, I suppose the best example of that kind of local stuff would be Maiden Street Ballad. You know, he wrote uh, absolutely beautiful. He wrote that as a. a Christmas present, uh, I suppose, a very poor poet uh, who was living actually in Glendarock at the time. He said himself that he was living uh, out farming in Glanton. You know, he was away from town and he, he had living there in a cottage in Glanton uh, with his wife Rosemary and uh, his two, two kids at that time in 1981. But uh, his father, um, he wrote the poem for his father. Um, as a Christmas present because he didn't have anything else to give him, you know, but it's a beautiful poem and uh, it turns into a bit of a pub crawl, actually. Uh, he visits, uh, during the course of the poem, he visits uh, 26 pubs. Uh, there, are, there were 26 pubs in, in Newcastle at the time and in these days of COVID, I suppose, when uh, the few that are left are trying to open up again, uh, I think there are about 10 pubs left in Newcastle West now, you know, but uh, there were 26 there in 1981. How times <laughs> have changed. Times have changed, yeah. Um, and um, but uh, I think Michael Michael's work will stand the test of time. He is one of the great poets, and uh, he made uh, he made maybe some dodgy decisions about his career path, uh, in t- you know, at times. Like for example, in 1974, 1975, he announced uh, from the. The, the stage of the Peacock in Dublin, Peacock Theatre in Dublin, that he was going to write no more in English. After having made his name as an English poet, you know, and uh, he was standing up there with Heaney and Kinsella and Kavanagh and all the rest of them, and, you know, but then he decided that he would write no more. He would go back, he would go, go back and find his roots, basically. So he came back to West Limerick and uh, bought a little cottage in Glendarock and began to explore the 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 past, the, the, you know, whereas all the other poets, the Irish poets at the time, you know, the people, I mean, now the poets writing in Irish, um, you know, the, particularly the poets that were coming out of UCC at the time, you know, 
they were all looking forward and breaking new ground, you know. Hatton was going back down the old furrow, you know. He was going back to Davio Brother and uh, all the poets that lived in West Limerick, in Egon uh, Rahala, and particularly, I think, uh, Andreas McGrath and, you know, the Meg poets, that would be the, the poets that were coming, you know, in, um, that were in Croom at the time. And Michael Hatton had always took great pride in the fact, actually, that he was actually born in Croom at the time. And a lot of the, when you look up Wikipedia and Google, and if you Google his name now or whatever, uh, you, know, he, you know, it says that he was born in Croom. And that was true. I mean, every child in, in Limerick at the time was born in Croom because there was a maternity hospital there. Uh, but uh, it's now an orthopedic hospital. But, um, you know, after after 10 days, he came back and, and uh, they rented a room down in Lower Maiden Street, which is a very, very tough place at the time. It's very, very poor. And uh, it's nice to see down in Lower Maiden Street now that his name is still remembered, you know. Um, and um, he's, he'll always be remembered, I think. He'll always be remembered in Newcastle West anyway, you know. And he clearly was very passionate about his poetry and he wrote a lot, if not all, about his own personal experiences. And a lot of that does refer to food and, and drink experiences. So he spent time with his grandmother on a farm and that's, that's reflected right. in a number of his poems. It is. Yeah. He wrote, I mean, he immortalised Bridget Halpin, really. Bridget Halpin uh, um, <clears throat> was his grandmother and uh, she was she was born uh, to... Uh, she, she he was married to Michael Halpin, who lived in Camus. And, uh, but uh, she had, they had a number of children, and um, uh, Michael died very young. Her husband died very young, so she reared the young children, uh, you know, and including Michael's mother now, uh, Bridget, who was also Bridget. Uh, and I think she loved Michael very much. Michael was called after her husband, you know, so um, uh, I think that, that was there all the time. Uh, he spent a lot of time with her, and uh, you, you must remember now, Michael was born in 41, so 1941, these were during the war years, things were very, very tough in Newcastle West. But uh, out in Camus they had a little bit of land, and uh, they grew potatoes and cabbage and turnips and, and carrots and, and uh, all the various things, and every so often... Bridget would come with her donkey and cart into Lower Maiden Street, you know, she'd come on pension day or whatever to come collect a pension and she would bring supplies, you know, to, to, to uh, so they were never that badly off, I suppose, in that sense, but um, uh, Michael stayed with her a long time and he, he claims that uh, she was the first one to actually say that he was going to be a poet. He came in one day and said that a nest of, of um, wrens had landed on his head, or they had come, and, uh, and she said to him, or she is reputed to have said to him, oh, she said, you're going to be a poet. And um, he also claims that he picked up uh, most, an awful lot of the phrases, Irish phrases and stuff from her. Um, she gave him at least, he says, he said, uh, at least 2,000 uh, phrases. Although I don't think she was ever fluent in Irish as such. Uh, Irish was, I suppose, was uh, in the 1920s and stuff. Irish was was receding, I think, really, you know. And, and uh, but um, there were still uh, the remnants of the languages there, and the the names of the animals, the names of the, the plants and the herbs and stuff were there in Irish, you know. She would have passed them on to him, you know. Michael always had a great, he had a great love for food actually, you know, he was a, he was a, um, um, you know, he was, he was a lover of food, a lover of cooking, 
and uh, he loved to take people back to, to his the cottage here in, in Glendarock and uh, cook uh, beautiful meals for, for them, you know. And um, uh, Dennis O'Driscoll, who interviewed him in 1986, one of the very, very good interview actually, it reveals an awful lot about him. Uh, he said that uh, Michael came to him uh, in December 1986, um, you know, to, to the offices of Poetry Island where they were doing the interview and uh, he came with a rattle bag of oysters and Lombard, uh, and focaccio from Lombard, you know. Very fancy. Absolutely. <laughs> so he was he was a gourmet, you know, and he loved cooking and, 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 and a lot of his poems uh, deal with some of his write, prose writing as well, you know, mentions the poverty and um, the austerity that was there and the way that people had to, you know, people had to live on very, very little, really. You know, turkeys and, and um, you know, ham and that kind of Victorian uh, idea of Christmas, uh, even in the 1950s, was alien to, you know, to, to Newcastle West and Maiden Street in particular, you know. Yet, the Christmas dinner, he says, in, uh, in a lovely piece of writing he did for the Observer, uh, the Annual Observer, and he says it was the dinner of the year, you know. And then he wrote about pig killing and various events that went on, you know, the, the community aspect of, of killing a pig in, in rural Ireland, uh, you know, everything was shared, uh, you know, the, the, the pork was, was distributed out. great sense of community and I yes. think it's great here in Newcastle West that he is celebrated yes. every year Absolutely. and obviously the statue is here 24-7 all year round but to go around the he town that, did he? he, oh, he, didn't, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want, no he didn't want to he, he didn't want to be Okay. It is a fabulous statue, yeah. And he deserves that recognition. Of course, yeah. And I think it's great at this time of the year as you walk around the town and you see his poems displayed in the windows of the different businesses, be it a butcher shop or a clothes shop or a chemist. He is very much celebrated here in the town. He is. And I mean, I think it is brilliant. It is great that he is being celebrated volumes and I think Vicky and uh, Vicky Nash and, and Norma and the other members have, particularly Vicky and Norma I think they have done brilliant work to make sure that uh, artists are remembered and that they're, they're, they're that we try and and, uh, and look after them at this time and even though we mightn't see them in person this year in Aikshire we'll see them online and uh, we will um, we will get you know I mean the, the artists are still out there the poets are still writing Part of the programme, there's a number of readings taking place, and you have a poem here that you're going to, to share with us from one yes. of the contributors this, this year. This, this is a poem by Dean Brown, who's a young, up-and-coming poet um, who is gaining uh, recognition all the time. And uh, in this poem, uh, he mentions, um, you know, that he is uh, trying to impress his girlfriend, really. And he is listening to Joni Mitchell, um, you know, the goddess of the, the sexual revolution, I suppose. And 
and at the same time he is cooking uh, a, a meal, an exotic meal of peposo for his for his girlfriend. And but yes, unfortunately, uh, she leaves. Um, she doesn't stay around to enjoy the meal. So I'll just read it. Uh, it's called "Listening to Joni Mitchell's Blue While Cooking Peposo." More paint than accompaniment, your cards. The day I held the yellowed Tuscan recipe, I chanced on, bent over charity shop shelves in Bantry Square. Your voice arose from blue. I mean, my Bluetooth pocket speaker, Spotified, cued and looped and ringing, fine as glass. You say, the bed's too big, the frying pan's too wide. But here is a shell for the blue. Who's Richard? All ears. I seared cubed beef with garlic cloves, a teacup of Chianti, black pepper in reckless dashes. I chopped tomatoes, gorgeous as her mouth, that seal-lit evening. And though she didn't stay, still your voice moves through my kitchen at night. It's California. Will you take me as I am? My mouth is watering. <laughs> Thanks so much for reading that, no Vincent, and for reading The Ballad of Salad Sundays by Michael Hartnett. And we wish you all the best with the festival this year. Thank you, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And that was Vincent Hanley, who blogs at Reviews, Runts and Rambles. Check it out online. And for details about the programme for Exha Michael Hartnett, the website is exhamichaelhartnett.ie. So a jam-packed weekend for us to look forward to and enjoy in a virtual setting. Thanks to Bloss Nairn and Exha Michael Hartnett. And that brings us to the end of the programme this evening. My thanks to tonight's guests. Fallon Moore, Vincent Hanley and a special thanks to Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom. And until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit